Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 on this down in the dumps for me anyway, Monday version of footnotes uh, with very deserved apologies to LSU baseball fans and really just fans of the College World Series in general. I got a chance to watch quite a bit of the College World Series over the weekend. It was, I mean, trem- I have you heard like, I can't believe that it's ever gotten off to this good of a start in terms of exciting one-run games that went down to the last inning. I mean, it's just... Yeah, no, it was outstanding. And, I mean, the very first game was Oral Roberts and TCU, and I I joked with RP3. We were on the way to Houston, and I was watching um, in the passenger seat, and I screamed when the home run was hit, and luckily we didn't veer off the road. Um, But I could... I mean, you just couldn't believe they got it done again. That set the tone, and then we had another one-run game that followed it up with Virginia and Florida, and then we had another one-run game with Wake with a clutch two-run single to take a lead when they were in trouble of going to the loser's bracket. And ironically, the most uneventful game yet was still a good baseball game was the LSU-Tennessee game right. because LSU was mostly in control. Um, that was kind of the only – and obviously it wasn't a blowout. It was a three-run game that still required a save. So, I mean, as good as you could start. And then we we follow that up again with the the action, another cl- a one-run game and an elimination game where TCU sends Virginia home and then a one-run game – in which Florida pulls their closer because the coach loses track of how many visits he has left. I mean, no no shortage of drama there. It, it was outstanding. It, it really was. Also, apologies, you know, to, I guess, U.S. Open golf fans. It, after Thursday, I, I think, was the worst day in the history of the U.S. Open. We talked about that on Friday, and really it followed up pretty well. Like, 10 is not great, but it's not what it was on pace to do after the first day and you know Clark won and there were some pretty familiar names like Scheffler and quite a few people were kind of high on Smith and so he was on the leaderboard I think Tommy Fleetwood is one of the great names in 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 golf today but you know some other guys you know finished 10th and kept it was what 17th and so I, I think overall it turned out after such a awful first day for the U.S. Open it, it, it finished up pretty good pretty well yeah and, and Rory finishing second there but just couldn't make the birdies coming in um, it ended up being look pars won it it just pars at the beginning of the week didn't have you in it but pars won it in the end so yeah it did have a little bit more of a U.S. Open feel to it and a lot of people weren't thinking that Rory was going to finish that high that high after you know just so much you just didn't know where he was mentally after everything that had happened. So um, most of the experts that I heard talked about it weren't that going in, weren't that high on Rory's chances of finishing in the top two or three. But uh, good for him, he he did. So, uh, you know, Astro, I, I'm just, you know, I, since day one, just don't get swept. 
just don't get swept. And they shouldn't have got swept, but they got swept. And, look, I understand the Astros are not hitting. Uh, and they were stretching. Look, they haven't really hit all season. Let's be honest, okay? You know, I, I, I know Pedro Grande has his moments, but they haven't really hit all season. Um, and so everyone's down on the hitting. But in my mind, it still comes down to pitching a defense. And they're not pitching, and they're not playing defense. Now, did they pitch well for a couple games this week? Yes. But if they pitch like they normally do, they win the Blue Jays series, or at worst, I mean, they had the lead in all those games that they lost. All three games in Toronto, they had the lead, and they lost them. They they had a five to two lead yesterday. Now should they have been up more than five to two? Yes, they should have, because they had like I don't know. At one point it was like nine hits to three, and they had they didn't have hardly any runs. I mean, you know, they they strand they 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 instead of there were several opportunities to have big innings, they didn't have them, but they still were up five to two. Um. And then even once they blew the lead and it was 5-5, it's the ninth inning and you got the bases loaded and one out. Now, I thought the guy pitched great. I mean, really. Jokes didn't see a – usually in that situation, you see one right over the plate and you just foul it off, you miss it. I mean, he fouled a few pitches off, but they were not pitches that were just right over the plate. They were – I thought the pitchers did a great job in that situation, but – and I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen jokes bunt, but I'd have been okay with squeezing right there. Really, I would have been. I, I just, that's a, just an awful. Obviously, the Reds have a lot of good hitters, and they're playing well. But I just don't want to get swept again. Because look, it's possible. Like the Mets are very due to win, like very due, and the Astros are just in a funk right now. They can't defend. They. It started a couple weeks ago where they just. It's like they don't want to finish a game. Like, all of a sudden, they don't know how to finish a game. They've been finishing games for eight years. All of a sudden, they don't know how to finish a game. Like, what's the deal? It's weird. But uh, hopefully they can get back on track. Just don't get swept. Yeah, we had a good run there, huh? I guess it took me going to Houston to ruin the swept, the getting swept rule. But Yeah. Uh, and um, you mentioned the Mets series. Yeah, and you got Scherzer tonight, Verlander tomorrow. Now, those guys haven't been great. Obviously, that's part of the reason the Mets are struggling. But... You'll never be surprised if Scherzer figures it out. And same with Verlander. So And Alonzo's back and he hadn't done anything yet, but you know. Right. He's pretty dangerous. So you, Can't stand that guy, but he's dangerous. Yeah. You, you you're gonna need a performance here. And we'll see. But the and on the same hand, the Astros have their best three going, Hunter Brown, and then it'll be probably Framber and Javier. So you have a good shot. But you know, I thought they came out yesterday, they hit the ball early, they played you know, they just couldn't get that coup de gras hit to really put him away, but it was also like, you know, Icky hit one to the wall, looked like he hit it to the moon, and they caught it right at the top of the wall, and it's just one of those. But they're not defending, and they're not pitching, and, um, you know, they got to get back to that. Now, normally in this situation, I would say, well, maybe that's good because it will tell them that they need to go out and get someone well, I think they were already in that mindset anyway. So I, I don't – I'm a big, you know, if you get too high, then you're going to come down. And once you hit rock bottom, you the only way to go is up. And So I'm okay 
would hit in rock bottom, but I don't I don't know that they're going to maybe so, but I don't know that the hitting rock bottom and that they got swept is um, going to help them. Hopefully it does. I, I thought they responded well yesterday. Good mental approach. Had a lot of good at bats. They swung the bats well. But, uh, you know, they had Blanco pitch, and Blanco looked like he wasn't going to make it through the second, and then he did great in the third and the fourth and the fifth, and you felt like everything was going good, and you tried to get another inning out of him, which I get. You you know, your bullpen is not, I'm sure, is a little bit overworked in recent weeks, and I got, you know, I'm all for leaving starting pitchers in. I um, I hate five-inning pitchers. But it didn't work out in that case because he, he 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 gave up three runs in the sixth and the offense was not able to respond. So first sweep of the year. The Reds do have some good young hitters. They really do. Like they I was impressed with how many good at bats the Reds hitters had in that series. But still, you gotta be able to well, that's my point there. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of you got swept by the Reds with that kind of negative connotation. The Reds have won eight in a row. They're you know a half game out of first place in the NL Central, and they threw a guy on Friday night who's never given up a run in his entire life. So, I mean, that's <laughs> tough. This this left hander they threw. I mean, again, he's only thrown seventeen and in, two thirds innings. But um, where'd he come from? Right. I don't know. I mean, but look, the Reds have been bad for a long time. I mean, you're supposed to. That the point is, unless you really botch it. You're supposed to have a young, a lot of young talent. They, they, you know, when you've well, right. been bad for this long, and they've obviously drafted some good people. They've got a lot of young, talented hitters. I mean, they yeah, really and I do. would just kind of reinforce that, like, it's, you didn't get swept by the Royals, even though I know, and a lot of look, a lot of people, especially Astros fans, they're in the NL Central. They don't want, they don't pay attention to what the Reds are doing until they play them. So, I would just say, you know, keep in mind this team's now one eight in a row and they're playing really, really good. So it's First, not like he got swept. By yeah, a bad it's their team. longest winning streak in I think eleven years, and so uh, they're hot. Good for them. I mean, I don't ever really think much about the Reds other than our our buddy Craig, who's a Reds fan. So congratulations, Craig, if he's listening. But again, I don't want to be, you know, sound like a coach, but it's not. Really, the Reds. I mean, they, they, they got to. They're just not pitching well, and they're going. And look, that's that's going to happen. Uh, they're going to be stretches where you don't pitch well, even if you win a hundred games. Which I don't think the Astros, with all their injuries, are going to win a hundred games. But even if you win a hundred games, you're going to have stretches where you don't pitch well. Uh, it's the defense that worries me more. Like there's, Bregman did it again yesterday. Like what? Does he have some sort of restaurant he wants to open up in Beaumont or something? He keeps throwing the ball way over the first baseman's head. What is he doing? Like, he, he never does this. I mean, he's been awful lately, defensive. What is he doing? He can't even make routine plays anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure. By the way, it was I was joking, but Andrew Abbott was a second-round pick out of Virginia. Um, but, like, if, if a couple of these guys that are pitching well for the Reds right now pitch well, then, like, I, you know, the NL Central's not – obviously, we talked oh, about nobody's taking it. And yeah, and I I know right now it's a, it's, a, it's a nice story in their young team, and we kind of think a lot of times that young teams will fade. But, like, I don't know. If they get – if, if Abbott – now, you're not expecting him to be that the rest of the way, but if some of these young pitchers pitch the way they've pitched in the last month, 
I think they could win the division. And, Especially and if they noise. can add a piece at the All-Star right. break. Just one more veteran-type pitcher. No, the Brewers just don't seem to – I don't know. It's like their window might be fading. Like they, they were pretty good where you could pencil them into the postseason there for several years, and they could just never get over the hump. They could never get enough hitting to go with their pitching. And now, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, the Cardinals don't look like they have it this year. The Brewers just, I don't know, they just don't seem to have it. I think that division is definitely up for grabs. Um, the Cubs had won five in a row, showed some life, and then they got beat over the weekend. But, um, no, if I'm a Red fan, I'm excited. I think you got a realistic shot. And then, obviously, Yankee fans kind of know how I feel because they got – Swept over the weekend by the Red Sox. They're 1-5 against Boston this year. And I think I saw it. I was the first time in, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years that they got swept. At, no, seven years maybe. I think it was. I'm confusing my date since they got swept in a doubleheader. So, um, you know. And we all know what their problem is. They have their big guy is out is out as well. And but you still but again that's part of being a team like you you can't fall apart just because a great hitter if you pitch and play defense you can overcome that you got it got to do a better job uh, Montero got lit again yeah I think I'm I think I'm done I think I'm done there I think I made my decision this week like saw he it in got person. lit again and by the way he pitched on Friday night and he wasn't good either he got out of a jam but he wasn't good he put a couple runners on I, I'm kind of I kind of made my decision I saw it in person that was enough for me so uh you know uh, I don't know if they're gonna pick up um you know we're talking about a starting pitcher because of you have three of your guys in your rotation that are out two of them for the year and theoretically Arkiti's coming back around the all-star break or so, but um, but you might need to pick up a bullpen, or, although I still think they have enough arms if they ju- even without Montero, if they just pitch well, but they might not, I don't, they don't seem to trust Stanek, um, although I, you know, I think he's a legitimate bullpen arm, Naris has been fabulous, Presley is pitching bad, but I, nowhere near Worried about him long term. I expect him to fix it. Um, some some people are a little higher on Mayton than I am. I I don't really trust Mayton in high high leverage situations very often. You know, I look at him as a sixth inning guy. But um, well, you know, so they might pick up a bullpen arm as well. We'll see how that plays out. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ooh. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline again, 706-0111, 706-0111. Did you get a chance to, to hear, and I felt so bad for him, the worst call. I know you were traveling to Houston, the worst call ever. Carl Ravitch? Yes. Ooh. No, and so actually I didn't. I mentioned I was watching it when it happened, but I didn't have the sound all the way up in the car. Um, and so then I went back and heard it. But, no, as a young broadcaster, too, that's kind of like your worst fear, right? Because I think – and it was an under – you know, he got obviously just mixed up, and, and he took kind of ownership for it afterwards. But, yeah, he, he, he thought it was a walk-off, and then and then he said TCU. And then – and that I always wanted to – But it was to, almost like someone was going, no, you, you – Right. And, so, and he was misinterpreting what they were saying you're doing wrong. Yeah, I'm sure – because I – and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's what it was. I'm sure he had producers in his ear saying one thing or the other um, – but yeah, no, it, it was not ideal. But, I mean, Carl Ravitch is a guy who I've always thought is one of the best, and I love his college. You know, we used to have a, a lot more MLB coverage on ESPN, and Carl Ravitch yeah. was around that. But, you know, I think he does a great job. And, man, it happens to uh, happens to elite athletes, right? They they miss, uh, you know, make bad plays like Alex Bregman throwing it to Katie, Texas, and sometimes announcers miss calls as well. Yeah, I, I, I felt bad for him. Like, oh, it was just like cringeworthy. You know, it was, uh, you know, I'm sure his buddies will be ribbing him about that for a while. But, uh, you know, if he was a new guy, you'd feel worse about it. You'd feel worse about it, but he's pretty established, so he should be okay. But no, I mean, you don't hear you don't hear something like that very often, especially for someone like, as you said, as experienced as him. But I was like, oh. Brutal, but no. Again, any, I you know, it's it's the first round. Well, we're into the second round now, so I don't want to make too much out of it because sometimes, based on the depth of pitching and how good a hitting team you are and all, sometimes as the tournament goes on, teams start to separate themselves a little bit, but like. I mean, Virginia is two and out, but I mean, they easily could have won those two games. I mean, easily. It's um, besides the LSU Tennessee game, like we said. I mean, all these games, and and it's it's not just that they're all, and not all of them were decided at the end, but you know, for a you know the first day it was like they went into the ninth. The team that went into the ninth with the lead lost, and the team that went into the ninth with the lead lost, and then the next, the team that went into the eighth with with a, with a lead lost, and it was um, just a lot of high drama. You know, there's been some, the park has played relatively big, but there's been quite a few home runs, and a lot of the home runs are not just going barely over the fence. I mean, they're they've been. A lot of the home runs have been way out, like just crushing balls. So I I I don't know how. I mean, I guess you could say what an LSU game could have been six to five, but other than that, I mean, it was um, it, it's been about as good. And again, even more, they're playing baseball. Like I hate, I don't mind thirteen to ten every once in a while, but during the season, there's just. 
so many of those kind of games, and it's just that that that's this is like six to five, and you know four to three and five to four. I mean that's baseball. That's the way it's supposed to be played. So I I um I think it's been tremendous, and most people are thinking that tonight is the premier game, and we'll see how it turns out. You know how that goes sometimes. You know, you play up a, a matchup, and whether it's offense or defensive, and it turns out to be the other thing. I think most people expect this to be, especially in this College World Series so far, with, all, with so many close competitive games, um, that it's going to be close, and I kind of think it will. But I hope it's close and, you know, Seven to six, six to five, five four if it's close, not thirteen to twelve, but we'll see how that plays out. And again, so far you say, well, the team that got beat by the most runs was that was Tennessee, but going in, we keep saying they have the deepest pitching. That's what the that's what the thought process was. They have the deepest pitching. So yes, Virginia's gone and and, and um um, but I mean, I think th- they played two good games. They could have won either game. They just didn't win. And Tennessee looked like they'll maybe the worst team so far. But again, they have the deepest pitching, so they might be able to bounce back from that. Yeah. So Tennessee's got to beat Quinn Matthews today to stay alive. That's obviously a huge task. We saw what he did in the supers. But I think to your point there, and we 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 talked to some Tennessee people when we were previewing the LSU matchup and and kind of gotten the different perspectives on it. I think if you're an LSU fan or a Wake fan, I'm probably rooting for Stanford today. To A, have to use Quinn Matthews to his fullest extent and get through Tennessee because I think we just think Tennessee's got more pitching than Stanford does, and that's not the team you want to face. Whoever loses that Wake-LSU game's got to play Tennessee tomorrow. Uh, I think you're rooting for Stanford. Even though Stanford may be the better offensive team, I just think you're rooting for the team that has less pitching at this point because that's who you want to have to face. Did Stanford... Do you feel like Stanford kind of um, played better than you thought? Like I don't know, I don't want to use the word overachieve, but like I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what to think of them yeah. going in, and and I thought they played very well, and obviously easily could have won that game. Yeah, they pitched very well, and and you know it. Look, we they were what five outs away, and and Wake Forest did what really good teams do, which is get the big hit in the big moment, but they didn't have it offensively. Joey Dixon gave him – now, he only went four innings, but he was great, um, and they turned it over, and they kept it going, and that rain delay kind of reset things for Wake Forest, and without the rain delay, you know, I don't know if we're talking about this Wake-LSU matchup, which probably would have – you know, it would have it been interesting for all kinds of different storylines. Then it had been Quinn Matthews against that LSU lineup, but um, Wake – has a chance now to kind of reset after what was an underwhelming offensive game, one of their poorer offensive efforts all year. Um, now we did talk about with uh, in the first show with a Wake Forest guy who said uh, their offense hasn't ever really had two back-to-back slow games. So, you know, history will tell you they're going to be able to score today. But, yeah, no, I, I think overall the tournament's been exciting. And that Florida situation that took place last night, which was just bizarre with the number of visits and – the coach essentially getting upset that the umpire didn't tell him before he went out there, but it was, I mean, it was on him. He didn't keep track of the number of visits. And then he has to pull the closer in the middle of a save situation. And luckily for them, the freshman came in and got the job done, but that ball was hit well in a left center field. They just happened to run it down and, and survive. 
And that's the kind of thing that, man, talk about scrutiny. <laughs> I mean, and he looked, look, I don't, you know, I haven't certainly, I've watched a decent amount of Florida at times this year, but there's not always the camera on the coach the way, you know, the production level at the World Series has a lot of extra. I mean, he looked frantic in that ninth inning, walking around. I mean, it looked like he, you know, felt unsure of himself, maybe thought about going back to the pen there. But in that ninth inning, which in case anyone didn't see it, what happened is Florida had a lead and they had their All-American closer in the game. He ran into a little bit of trouble, and Florida's coach went out to talk to him but didn't realize he was out of visits. So the umpire basically went out and said, who's your new pitcher? And he said, what are you talking about? And he said, you're out of visits. you got to make a change. And he you know, argued with him back and forth but then had to bring in a guy who was cold out of the bullpen. Now, I think they did a good job stalling with the arguing and stuff like yeah. that in order to get him a few tosses down there. But had to bring in, and they brought in a freshman left-hander who kind of barely got out of the jam in the eighth and then came back out for the ninth and got into another big jam, one run allowed, uh, but then had a deep fly ball in the left center field that was run down. Again, maybe the park playing into a little bit, and that's how they beat Oral Roberts. So we were that close to seeing Cinderella put themselves in the driver's seat. Um, And Florida hangs on, and now they're in a pretty good spot with the amount of pitching they have left. And the thing with Oral Roberts that's interesting to me, their best hitter and their hottest hitter – he had this, what, 30-something game hitting streak. 48, I think. Four, like, this monstrous hitting streak. And then, it's not surprising, on the other side of that hitting streak, you you know, what goes up must come down. What hits the floor must, you know, is going to go up. Like, on the other side, like, he's not giving them the production that they were expecting out of him. It, he's, like, their best hitter. Like, Oral Roberts could he could easily be 2-0, and but they haven't even hardly gotten anything from their best hitter. And he's been up in some big situations, bases loaded, struck out on a pitch in the dirt early on with the bases loaded in that game yesterday. So, you know, they're doing this with their best hitter going through uh, on the other side of a long, historic hitting streak slump. And, I mean, that's baseball, but... It's um they've acquitted themselves pretty well, I think, or Roberts. They 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 played fine. Everyone has. That's I mean, again, even Virginia, they 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 went 0 and two, but they didn't play poorly and, and they could have won either game and uh Stunford looked better than I thought. I mean, I, I I think it's about I know we all there's the perception out there that Wake and LSU are head and shoulders above everyone, and maybe that'll play out that way. We'll see. But I think I, I think it's pretty close. When we did the statistical comparison on Friday, it didn't seem like some of them were that close. Now again, TCU is playing above what they were most of the year. They came in hot, and we've. Ta- I mean, you. I mean, they they clearly chronicled it during the game like you could there was a definite point where they're all of a sudden they just turned it on and gotten bet it got better and you know that's baseball that happened so that 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 that's the, the cool storyline there and we didn't really know how to interpret or Roberts's stats but they've looked apart I mean they certainly look like they belong and and uh, played very well, man. Their closer, he, he he had a rough. He gave up some hits and runs, but man, he's got I mean, his stuff was impressive, like impressive. I I was impressed watching him pitch. Now again, good pitchers give up runs, especially at the College World Series against this competition. But uh, you can tell, 
especially against some of the teams in their league, they they you could tell why his stats are because his, his stuff is really, really good. All and, right, well, t- go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the funny thing is, I think the assumption now would be that Oral Roberts is going to lose by, you know, if you're just thinking of how a team has to respond with momentum and a team that doesn't have as much depth. I think Oral Roberts has as much pitching left as a lot of teams in this tournament, and if they get a decent outing against TCU... Now, look, I don't know if they've got enough to beat Florida twice, but like I would not be I, I think Oral Roberts has a good shot to beat TCU again. Now, we'll see if that TCU offense of the regional shows back up because they've been a little bit quiet, right, since then. Yeah. We talked about it. they weren't great in the Supers against Indiana State. They pitched a lot better. And then they gave up some runs against Oral Roberts, even though they didn't score a ton. They beat Virginia 4-3. So, does TCU's offense from the regional show back up? If they don't, then I think Oral Roberts wins the game. No, I kind of I kind of think Oral Roberts will win this game, but Again, I mean, when you're dealing with all these one-run games we've been dealing with, who knows what's going to happen. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111, 706-0111. If you would like to talk about LSU Wake Forest or anything to do with the College World Series, certainly feel free to call Major League Baseball. Uh, just an awful weekend for me. I, I uh, Astros obviously have been not playing well at all. Um in recent weeks, and so um, it's not shocking that they got swept, but I was it certainly was disappointing, especially when you came out with a good approach yesterday and was up five to two, and they haven't lost that many games, especially at home when they have a three run lead. You know, they 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 don't ever really during this whole stretch. They they're not a good hitting team at home. They hit way better on the road. They normally pitch really well at home though. And normally when they get a, fi- a three-run lead at home, it, it's pretty secure, but they're in um in a in quite a funk right now. So we'll see uh you know, I expect them to come out of it certainly. But um when's Brantley coming back? Who knows? I mean, it's just it's there's a lot of I think the the chances of them making moves certainly have gone up with the way they played in recent weeks, but um, I think those chances were 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 there already. Um, so certainly, if you want to talk about Astros or anything else going on in Major League Baseball, certainly feel free to do that. All right, so the NBA Finals have been played, but still a lot of NBA news. And a huge part of it uh, really involves the storyline, involves the Pelicans. Um, Where are you, Dawson, on, like, if I don't really think they're going to do this, but people keep talking about it. Like, if they trade Zion for a high, like the number two or three pick, like, 
Are you going to be, you know, is it gnashing of teeth or hold a parade or what? what, what no, what? don't. Uh, I don't trade him. That would be my perspective. But uh, the stuff I've heard more recently has been it doesn't look like they're going to trade Zion now. And and I don't even think they're going to get this number two, number three pick. I think that was more of a. I think that report came from. Would they like it? Sure, but were they? You know, and were they making calls about it? Yeah, but what it was going to cost them, I just don't think it was ever going to make sense to make the move. Like I just don't think what you would have had to give up. You would have had to either give up Zion or Bi, most likely uh, Brandon Ingram, or. A huge collection of all your role pieces and, and young players like Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, and you know all those guys with draft picks. I just don't think it made sense to be trading all of that for Scoot Henderson, even though, look, he looks like he's going to be a very good guard in this league. Maybe that kind of, you know, they, they could certainly use a player like him at the point guard spot or, you know, wherever he's going to play in the league. But for me, the, what it looked like, you know, all the way from 14, and again, look, if the lottery had gone their way and they were in the top 10, then maybe it would have made more sense to go up. But being at 14, it just felt like they were always going to have to give up more than what I think would be realistically, you know, acceptable and what they think would be acceptable. So I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, if they did it, it would just be, we are so sick of dealing with this guy. We have got to get rid of him. Yes. Like, I just don't want to even look at him anymore. It would That's be, what they'd be thinking. It would be the way we thought the Saints thought about Michael Thomas yes. and or Jameis Winston last year, and then that wasn't how they thought about him. So <laughs> it's just it's yeah, cr- it's uh, it's crazy. So, <clears throat> but like I've heard some people just kind of laugh it off as totally silly, and and that may be the case. But a year from now, if if he plays twenty or thirty games and he's still overweight and out of shape, it seems like perception. Like what it. I mean, what what do they do then? Like, it's not that far fetched that they could be the 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 thing I'm that's going through my mind is he's still so young, and he's got such upside that if you get rid of him and he turns into this mega star, you're going to be kicking yourself. And yet, how long? How much? I mean, I I think the answer is one more year. Is that the answer? Like a year from now, can you really say, well, we still have hope that he's going to turn it around if it happens again. Right. No, you need you need it to Seriously, happen. Seriously, what if it happens again? Yeah. No, it, it's a fair question because I think right now what 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 Now, the difference this time around in the offseason and we we're obviously we're not going to get into the specifics of what's going on with him off the court because there's been a lot of weird different reports and things of that nature, but that's what is more disheartening about this time around. It doesn't just sound... In the past, all the offseason reports were always, he's doing what he can, he's doing what he can, he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and then we go into the season. Now, you've had all this distraction stuff, and, you know, look, some of it has to do with basketball, some of it completely doesn't, but I think that's where you start to get nervous about, wait a minute, is this guy even as committed to turning it around? We kind of had this thought, like, man, it's a really bad, you know, maybe he had some, you know questions about his health and weight and stuff and then he figured that out and then it was a run of bad luck and now I think some people are sitting there going wait does he really want to get this figured out or is he just kind of on it a different just planet questions anyway? his maturity level yes. and his commitment to being a great player yes again you know any of the moral issues or whatever um, judgments aside 
at some when you're in when you he's not just a guy trying to make the league. I mean, people were talking about him being one of the great players in the history of the game. And you can't do that or even approach that level unless you have that sick, you know, Jordan, LeBron-like intensity and focus and Kobe, you know, intensity and focus and drive. And I think this is a prime example of sometimes we don't look at those great athletes and realize that, yeah, they're talented, but you have to have incredible drive to play at that level. And look, I, I brought this up again a couple of weeks ago when I heard it. C.J. McCollum was on Rusillo's podcast and, uh, and a couple other places where he spoke about it. And he was open about He said, look, I've had conversations with Zion and we've tried to, you know, we've talked to him about the fact that like us, you know, C.J. McCollum's a guy who's always, you know, first one in. Right. He's got this great work ethic. But and he said, like, but I have limitations to my game. Right. Like I'm a I have you know, I'm, I can be this player, but that's where I can be. And he said they've sat down with Zion and been like, look, you don't have the limitations that most guys have in their game where they can be great, but they can't be, you know, they just physically aren't that guy. That guy. He was like, you don't have those limitations, but you need to understand that. And they've, I think they're working with him to get that, to be like, look, you, you don't have the, you know, any sort of limited potential the way some guys in the league do, where they are work as hard as they can and they'll always be good players, but they can't be generational. He can be generational. He's got to realize that, and he's got to want it, and nobody can want it for him. So I hope he turns the corner. I really do. Man, that's just... Because, you know, like you brought up Plastic Man. He's been injured, and I know some people think he got mad. You know, I don't... I think he and and Casper don't really get along. I, I don't... I think that's legitimate. But it still was based on injury. I, I, if he wouldn't have... if. If he wouldn't have got injured, I think he'd have been fine because he was working hard. There wasn't a question of did he work hard. In fact, he was known as a hard worker. And, it's you know, I think the perception there once he got injured was he didn't he didn't think he, his treatment went and the diagnosis. And, and, look, he's not the only one that has questioned diagnosis, especially with the Saints over the last 10 years. So, uh, man, it's just it's, – it's a mess. And we don't really have time to get into this, but – Apparently, in this whole Bradley Beal deal, they're looking for a third team with this Chris Paul situation, and should the Pelicans be that third team to kind of? I would be in favor of it, but um, and I've heard, I've heard the Clippers emerging as a favorite in that spot. I don't know, but I would be in favor of it. Again, I I do think that's why the Scoot Henderson thing I didn't completely disregard because like I think he's got this real potential as a as a kind of you know true point guard potentially if he develops that way. But I just don't think it made sense to give up what they could, what they had to give up. Chris Paul, on the other hand, I think you get him at a discount if you get him for the right situation. Like I think it would make some sense, but um, it doesn't. You know, and we'll see. We'll see if those reports start to heat up. But it doesn't sound like they're as interested as maybe some of the fans are. And I know a lot of Pelicans fans are very not interested because they don't like Chris Paul because of how it ended the first time. I'm not on that side. I would take him back, but we'll see. Now, a lot of people say when he lives in L.A., he wants to go to the Lakers or the Clippers, and maybe so. When you get to that age, being close to home is probably a lot of benefits to that. But we will see. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the Forgotten Saints season, because in so many people's mind, the Saints' streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10 and 6, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver, who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13 to 12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ebbness or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline, 337-706-0111, As we review a weekend of, uh, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the hour, uh, awful start to the U.S. Open, very good finish to the U.S. Open, so... Good for golf fans. A, I don't know that there's been a, a better, what, first three days of the College World Series in the history of the event. It, it, is, it was uh, just great baseball, close games, um, you know, just enough offense to where it's not boring for those who just have to have offense, but not this where it's just easy to score runs. It's not supposed to be easy to score runs. And so, um, you know, I've, I've always thought like at the major league level, the perfect score is like four to three or five to four. And there was. There was a four to three game and there was a five to four game. Six to five, though, especially this year, with all the runs scored in college baseball, I think six to five is probably the perfect score in 2023 college baseball and we had the first two games of the tournament were six to five i mean no one has scored more than six runs. i just say again i don't know that you could ask now if you're virginia and you lost two of them you could ask for uh to be on the plus side of these close relatively low scoring games i get that but from someone just kind of watching i don't know if you could get any better than this um it is going to, you know, week three since we of uh, the summer. And uh, it, it, the, the theme, we're not going to probably get to it today. Just like I don't know that we got much to it on the Mondays of the last two weeks. But we are doing uh, MLB managers this week. And so we'll be doing that. I, I thought uh, Thursday and Friday of last week, we really got into a lot of the college football coaches and discovered some very interesting ones. And I. Obviously, ranking who the best are is part of it. But what I really enjoyed about so far is the first two weeks is coming up with underrated coaches that we don't really know about. <clears throat> if you missed it at the end of last week, uh, we can't. Uh, Howard Jones. And by the way, I heard a How- the Howard Jones song I was talking about over the weekend. It's a, it's amazing. I'm like, wait, look, I was just talking about this guy. I heard the uh, the the song that I was thinking about that I thought that was him 
over the weekend. But uh, this guy, Howard Jones, we came up with was the, um, I think, the the most successful coach that hardly no one knows anything about. We say, well, he coached, you know, 80 or 90 years ago. Well, so did Nuke Rockney. We know all about him. You know, so did Pop Warner even longer than that. We know all about him. There's a lot of really successful coaches from 80, 90, 100 years ago that we have heard about, Walter Camp and people like that, but I I don't know that I'd ever heard about this guy. So uh, we're going to have fun with that, and we'll be talking some about those managers as the week goes on. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On this Monday, we talked Major League Baseball. We talked about the College World Series. We talked about the Pelicans situation and having to do with Zion and a little bit about the Chris Paul. So talk to uh, a little bit about the NBA as well. If you would like to discuss any of those subjects, uh, certainly feel free to give us a call at 706-0111. Um, we are also in the next segment going to find out a little bit more from a Wake Forest perspective going into tonight's big game. Obviously, uh, LSU scheduled to play top-seeded Wake Forest at about 6 o'clock tonight, and it's a game a lot of people are looking forward to. LSU obviously looked very impressive uh, in taking down Tennessee 6-3. Wake Forest didn't look as impressive. Really good game, and they came back and won 3-2, but, um, you know, it it didn't take much of an imagination that Wake Forest could have lost that game. And they look, they played pretty tight. Um, So we'll see what happens. Now, it came up, well, we mentioned it last hour, and, and it was brought up on RP3 and company. I went back and looked at the times, and look, I, I don't want to put too much into this, because, but it, you know, it's just, it's, it's something to consider. Um... The times that Wake, and it's not too many of them, and I, I I guess I could do the same thing with LSU, although they're not coming off a bad offensive performance, but both of these teams are elite offensively. We looked at the raw numbers on Friday and compared them all. You know, LSU was number one in runs scored, um, and Wake was number two. Um, you know, Wake is up there in home runs. They were tied for second in the field. They were... Tied, you know, they were second in the field and on base percentage. And so that uh, these on paper were the two best offenses coming in. And that even includes Oral Roberts, who, who's a very good offensive team as well coming in. But in the games this year, 
that Wake didn't um, have good offensive games. They got beat by Duke eight to one. Uh, they came back and won five to three. Now there's nothing wrong with a five to three win, but it's not an offensive explosion. They got beat by Notre Dame three to one, and came back and they beat Elon twenty to nothing. Well, you say, well, Elon. I mean, they're awful. Well, a few weeks later, they played Elon and lost five to three. Uh, and they after that they beat NC State six to four, which is nothing wrong with a six to four win, but it's not really an offensive explosion per se. Uh, they lost to Louisville seven to two. Uh, the game after that, they scored seven runs against Liberty. Now, the one thing that I've noticed, if you know, the game after they haven't always scored, you know, a ton of runs, but they've won which is the most important thing. Uh, Pitt beat them three to nothing. They scored 23 runs the next game. Florida State beat them four to three, and they came back and beat Wilmington four to nothing. Again, a win, but not an offensive explosion. So most of these, they won. Well, all of them, they won. But they didn't always have an offensive explosion in the next game, which is not, I'm not saying I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm just saying... Uh, it is what it is. Okay, one other time they lost to Miami seven to three. I mean seven to two. That was late in the year. That was in the AC tournament, and in the first game of their regional, they beat George Mason twelve nothing. So, yeah. Only thing I would add is a lot of those losses came on Sundays, and those games then would then midweek games against different opponents. So, the couple times where they lost the game early in a series, they bounced back and were, looked pretty dominant. But again, this is actually a little bit more like a Sunday, and then playing a midweek game because you had an off day in between. They're not playing the day right. after they that they struggled offensively. So maybe it does look more like those games where they had to kind of grind out some midweek close games as opposed to when they lost to Pitt and then they scored 75 runs the next day. And, you know, I didn't consider Stunford a great pitching team by College World Series standards. But, like you said, they pitched well. Now... The guy Dixon, I think he only went four innings, but he pitched effectively. I don't like how would you compare what you know from how he pitched to what they're going to see in Floyd? Well, that's that's an interesting point. And, you know, one thing that I brought up when it comes to Ty Floyd is that he's a guy who's been a fly ball pitcher for much of the year. And Wake Forest is a team that hits a lot of home runs, hits the ball in the air a lot. And this is not a popcorn ball. Right, and that maybe plays into Ty Floyd's advantage that Wake's going to go up there thinking they can get the ball elevated and get it out of there. Now, on the same token, we have talked about the fact that it's not been impossible to get the ball out. Florida hit a few homers yesterday. Um, LSU hit a couple. Every, you know, Teams have been hitting home runs in, out of the ballpark. But if Ty Floyd's able to get you know not squared up contact and get a bunch of fly ball outs, then Wake Forest might be sitting there trying to hit the ball at the park all night, and it's just not not happening for them because again, their park is certainly not Charles Schwab Field. So, I think maybe in an, in a way you could have an advantage having Ty Floyd go tonight. Um, now the other thing is I I brought up the balls carried a little bit better in the night game so far. Now again, that could be just the offense is playing better at night, but I do think that maybe is a factor because you talk about when kind of the weather patterns and. Sometimes stadiums just are more offensive at night than they are during the day, and sometimes the other way around. But they will be playing at night, so maybe that kind of skews it back to the offenses a little bit. I don't know. I think I think both teams, you're going to have to score five or six runs to win the game. I don't think even Hartle, who's been, you know, Hartle's had times this year where he's been dominant. 
I don't think he's going to be dominant against LSU's lineup. Again, like Dylan Cruz has been on base 60-something times in a row uh, in, in a game. Like, it's just so hard to, to shut that team down. I don't think you will. So I think Wake's got to score. Um, but I think on the same token, LSU knows they're going to have to score because Ty Floyd's not going to give you eight innings of one-run ball unless he does something that he hasn't really done much this season. Um, yeah, they. It, but while there have been home runs hit, I haven't seen a cheap one. Like, during the regular season in college baseball, a lot of time, even the major leagues for that matter, it's like they'll hit a fly ball and it's like, off the bat, well, that's an out. And then the ball just keeps traveling and traveling, and then it's a home run. You're like, well, how's that a home run? But, I, you know, the home runs that I saw, and I didn't see every inning or anything, but the home runs that I saw in, in Omaha so far, they were, like, crushed. Like, just not just how far they went. They just looked crushed, you know, at, at the moment of contact. So I think um, I think you might be on to something with this Ty Floyd thing. And and by the way, so since you, I didn't even think of this, but you brought up comparing Joey Dixon to comparing Ty Floyd. Um, a lot more similar stat lines than I could have ever imagined. Okay, Joey Dixon came into that game, or well, now I, I think this has that game included. A 7-0 record with a 4-7-3 ERA. Ty Floyd this season uh, has a 7-0 record with a 4-5-0 ERA. <laughs> uh, Joey Dixon has 90 strikeouts and 43 walks on the year. Ty Floyd has 93 strikeouts and 32 walks. Opposing hitters hit 216 against Ty Floyd. Opposing hitters hit 235 against Joey Dixon. Um, you talk about giving up you know, extra base hits. Joey Dixon's given up 11 home runs this season. Ty Floyd, 15. They're very similar pitchers in numbers especially. So... Joey Dixon was very good against the Wake Forest lineup. Maybe Ty Floyd can kind of use some of that. Now, I haven't watched enough of Joey Dixon to know whether he's a guy who relies on ground balls or fly balls more like I do know about Floyd, but um, those are kind of some kind of similar numbers, and Dixon was very good against this Wake lineup two nights ago. Very interesting. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. I, I was going to ask you about the Tigers, who was going to be throwing tonight for him, but y'all answered my question when – Y'all were discussing that. So uh, I'm going to need two picks from you for t- t- both games today, Kevin. Uh, you don't have to do it now uh, before the end of the show, uh, the two college baseball games. And, uh, boy, that's the red hot reds, huh? Man, oh. they just they just broke my heart yesterday. Boy, I had a bad Father's Ooh. Day. I mean, I was just, they, you know, again, uh, Getting beat is one thing, but when you up five to two and you just can't get people out, uh, and then you have the bases loaded and one out, and all you got to do is bunt or hit a fly ball, and you and you're gonna win, and you blow that. I mean, boy, that was rough. Yeah, it's been a while. The Reds hadn't been, uh, like you said, a eight game winning streak. But uh, no, I've been listening to you show for a long time. Who you refer to, El? Hello, Grande. Who 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 is that, Kevin? Y- y- Yardon Alvarez. When, when years ago, when he came up, we heard about how good he was going to be, and I said, "Man, we got to give this cat a, a nickname." And because he's expan- Hispanic, um, you know, we said yeah. we, you know, we the big dog, and we just did the big dog in okay. Spanish. Oh, so it's El Pedro Grande. What's his name though, and what position? Yardon Alvarez. He's an outfielder, DH outfielder. Okay. Alvarez, okay, okay. Unfortunately, he's That's out right now, and he's probably going to be out another month. Okay, yeah. okay, gotcha, gotcha. But don't forget, give me two picks on the games today. All and, right. Uh, oh, and, and I was wrong a tidbit on Dalvin Cook. 
He's not 28. He's 27 right now, and he's going to be 28 when the season starts. I was wrong. I said 28 and 29, but no, he's 27. But anyway, talk to you later, Kevin. All right, take care. Um, I kind of feel like Tennessee's going to win. I mean, I feel like LSU's going to win, and Tennessee's going to win. Do you agree? That's kind of what I think. Yeah, I'm going – I actually struggle with both of them. I think LSU's got the better offensive team, and I thought Wake looked tight, and they haven't been here before. And I think tonight, which you know, you'll get a chance to ask this uh, to Les Johns coming up in our next segment, guy who covers Wake Forest, but I wonder if the – I don't think the moment's going to be too big for them as far as playing like decent, but I wonder if they're ready for what they're going to face tonight, which is like a lively crowd, obviously – Good, I good, good chance. There's going to be many more LSU fans than Wake fans. Although it's not a, you know, it's not a game at the box, um, a night game, winners bracket game, a lot on the line. Like I just wonder if Wake's going to be ready for that moment. So I, that's where I I struggle. Although I do think though, Josh Hartle's better than Ty Floyd, who is who Wake's going to throw. We found that out in the first show. And Ty Floyd again, by the way, that hasn't been an official announcement. We're just pretty confident based on everything we've heard that it's going to be Floyd. Yeah, make I mean, a lot it's of just sense. kind of been with. Um, but Jay Johnson hasn't actually announced it. I think Josh Hartle has been announced that he is going to pitch for Wake. Um, so that's why I would lean Wake when I go. I think Hartle's better than Floyd, but I just don't know if Wake's ready for a game like this. And LSU will be, and they have, like, they have played in games this big, and a lot of guys on that roster who have maybe haven't been to the College World Series, but have been in games that are pretty close. Um, so I don't know. That's tough for me. And then on the other hand, again, I think Tennessee's the better team. It has more depth, uh, which is kind of silly to say, given Stanford was a national seed. But then it's Stanford's got Quinn Matthews, and if he looks the way he looked in the Supers, then Stanford's going to have a great chance. So I, I don't know. I'm torn on both of them. Well, the bottom line is all of these games have been pretty competitive, except for the LSU-Tennessee game, I guess you could argue. And so – you know, to sit here and try to act like so-and-so's better than so-and-so, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. They all look the same to me. Somebody's got to win unless you play like 19 innings and the weather cakes ends it. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. That's what makes it so fun. We'll take a timeout again. Um, like Dawson said, we'll be speaking with Les Johns of 247 Sports covering Wake Forest next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game we have with us. Mr. Les Johns covers Wake Forest for 247 Sports. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, Kevin. Glad to be on. It's a, it's a sun, sunshiny day here in Omaha, and I've been told there's a pretty important baseball game tonight. 
Absolutely. So before we get to this, though, and I want to ask you something else before I forget, because I know if we get started, when we start talking baseball, I'm going to forget it at the end. We're obviously big Saints. We're in Saints country right here. And the Saints drafted a wide receiver from Wake Forest. So tell us something we don't know or something that should encourage us about his potential future in the NFL with the Saints. Well, A.T. Perry had a tremendous rapport with Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman, who's now at Notre Dame, but we don't want to get into that part. Uh, in fact, they were so automatic when Hartman like desperately needed a third-down conversion or someone to bail him out. I labeled them the cheat code because, I mean, he was if, if all else fails, just throw the ball up to A.T. and he would rise up and win that 50-50 ball. So I think you guys are going to be really excited about A.T. Perry this coming season and in the future. He's going to make a lot of plays for you guys. I mean, I, I'll never forget the game-winning touchdown against Syracuse in overtime kind of sprawling, laying all over the, the carpet there in the Carrier Dome, uh, a ball that he had absolutely no chance to get, but he brought down uh, for the win. So, yeah, he's going to win a lot of 50-50 balls. He's going to make catches you just can't believe, and you guys are going to be real happy with him before it's all said and done. All right. Well, I, we love to hear that for sure. All right. So before we get into the actual matchups and the numbers, let like – I. Tell me about, I kind of have this perception, I'm sure, you know, Wake Forest has been hearing about LSU all year long, and LSU was number one, you kind of chasing them in the rankings for a lot of the year, and then finally you overtook them, and, you know, LSU, there's this mystique about LSU at all the na- its national championships, especially in Omaha. Um how worried are you about how big of a moment, and, and i got to believe that LSU's kind of been in the back of their minds all season long, or am I kind of building this up too much? No, I think that's probably fair, Kevin. I, I mean, I, I think that for the most part, it, it's an experienced, older group of geeks. You know, they're not a bunch of freshmen or guys that haven't played, you know, important baseball before, but clearly this is the biggest stage. I think it probably helps that they have that first game, you know, under their belt, you know, like like if for some reason the Tigers had fallen to like an eight seed and this had been the opening game, you know, Saturday, then I'd be more worried about the stage being too big for them. But there are, you know, more than 22,000 fans in the stands Saturday against Stanford. Uh, tonight's liable to be electric. I think it's going to be the best atmosphere of the tournament so far, and that's saying a lot because UT and LSU was pretty uh, pretty electrified uh, Saturday night. But I don't think the moment will be too big for them. I think the fact that they had a game against Stanford and also a game that in which they came from behind, I think those things kind of play in their favor in terms of coming out and just being themselves today, which is probably the key to, to playing well against the Tigers. Was – do you do you kind of think that they played tight in the first game, or do you just need to give Stanford credit for playing well? Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's both of those. I think I think the Stanford played well. I think that mentally, when you when you see the number two guy on the mound instead of you know Quinn Matthews, the guy with the rubber arm, right? Maybe they maybe they relaxed a little bit in their approach, and then as they started struggling with runners on base, they probably tightened up. You know. Uh, and I think the rain delay, uh, or rain delay, the weather delay, which I'm sure is something you know LSU fans are accustomed to after that that super regional debacle with Kentucky, right? Um, you know that there wasn't actually rain, but we were in a delay here for like 90 minutes. I think that helped Wake Forest. They were able to kind of reset themselves. 
they got in the locker room. They said that they kind of vibed, you know, they got the music pumping, got in the right mindset, and they came back out and, and took care of business and got those two runs in the bottom of the eighth inning to, to win that game. Wake Forest and LSU are, you know, have the two most explosive offense in, in this field in Omaha. And we talked about it going in how this – now, there have been some home runs hit in the first three days, but it's known as more of a pitcher's park – Certainly not a popcorn park where, where, where they're playing in Omaha. H- how do you feel? What have you seen from along that line? And, and how does that play into playing two teams that are used to hitting a lot of home runs? Well, I think some of those home runs might end up becoming, you know, doubles in the gap and stuff like that. I think that, you know, uh, both teams show they can still hit the ball out of the park, you know, on Saturday. You know, Brock Wilkin hit a bomb to left. And I know. I know LSU put some runs on the board as well against against Tennessee. So they can hit out of the park, but I think having experienced that park again for another day for LSU and for the first time for Wake Forest, I think that they'll realize they can't get underneath those balls. Wake Forest did have a few, I'm not going to say like deep flyouts, but they did get under a few balls. And once they kind of leveled out their approach and leveled out their swing, I think they found some more success later in the game. Um, yeah, it plays different. You know, Wake Forest in the first game actually had their outfield playing a little bit too deep and had to make an adjustment after about the third inning because there are, there are a handful of balls that, that played out in front of them that they probably could have got if they'd been playing the right depth. So I think it's a period of adjustment for Wake Forest, but I think that they found those adjustments mid-game. Along that line, you know, we haven't heard officially, at least I haven't heard yet, that. but Ty Floyd's kind of been in that spot all year long, and we kind of figure that too – you're going to be facing now he's known as a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher which in this park could be effective and so they, they, they yep. you might have to change that approach which you normally do some I would think yeah I mean a fly ball pitcher if they're playing at David F. Couch ballpark in Winston-Salem the Demon Deacons would be licking their proverbial chops right you know because the ball flies out of that that park but here not so much so yeah I mean if, if Floyd is a fly ball pitcher, that probably plays in Omaha really well. Um, so, yeah, my understanding from, from what I've read through the uh, from the interviews and stuff that's floated around Twitter yesterday is Floyd is likely the guy today, uh, and it should be a great matchup. What did you get from the coaches at Wake and the players as far as what did – uh, Dixon from from Stanford do that gave him trouble. Uh, what, what was it that he was effective with? I think he was mixing his pitches. He wasn't just sticking with one thing. He was kind of working backwards and starting with some of the breaking stuff. You know, kept him off balance. And you know, he was only in there for four innings. You right. know, and then they brought in someone new with different stuff. And you know, he went. You know, uh, I, yeah, it was Dixon was a yeah. Then they went to reliever who retired six in a row. And then once the rain delay or weather delay, that's when Wake was able to kind of adjust their approach, get in the right mindset. But, you know, Stanford kept them off off balance with a variety of pitches. They didn't rely on just one. Uh, started with some breaking stuff first and then went to some to some heat, and that, that kind of worked effectively. All right, so tell us about Josh Hartle. <laughs> a lefty, he uh, developed a cutter mid to late season last year, made a tremendous jump from his freshman to sophomore season. Wake Forest has the much ballyhooed you know, pitching lab. So uh, after some mid-season struggles last year, the dude went in and in one week developed, developed a biting cutter, uh, which has proved to be effective for him as one of his best pitches to this day. You know, um, he's like a six-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. 
doesn't give up a bunch. So it, I think uh, they they feel they've got what they what they need to, to to keep the Tigers in check today. All right, we're speaking with Les Johns, who covers the Demon Deacons for two four seven Sports. Do you feel like their players and coaches? are sick of the hearing about that it's been since 1999 that a number one seed winner, they kind of embraced that challenge. How have they dealt with that, do you think? I think they've embraced it. I don't think that it was something that was really um, really talked about a whole lot, really, to be honest with you. The only reference I've seen to it was, I believe it was either Saturday or maybe even in the pre-tournament press conferences, one of the players remarked, you know, we, you know, we heard there's a number one curse, you know, but here we are. <laughs> you know, so I think they kind of embraced being number one. You know, I don't think it overwhelmed them in terms of, um, you know, dying to get to that number one seed or dying to get to that number one national ranking. I think they were happy it happened. It was a nice feather in their cap. But it was just one stop along the road, right? You know, this is a team that entered the season with a lot of expectations, you know, much like LSU. But it's also a program that hasn't traditionally went into a season with a lot of expectations. So that's something they had to talk about before the season started. There was expectations that they would be a top ten program. There was expectations that they were going to send five or six guys pretty high in the MLB draft. So there was there were team expectations and individual expectations, and they didn't shy away from those before the season started. Those are things that were addressed and talked about. And they've been able to, to handle it throughout the season. I mean, they haven't had a losing weekend the entire year. You know, they've won every series. So, uh, and I'm sure they, they plan on keeping that streak going. You know, this is a team that hasn't lost two games in a row all year. So, if they were able to defeat the Tigers today, they've got to feel really good about their chance of making it to the, uh, the College World Series Finals. I know that we're, I mean, you know, people all over the country are building this a, a, as a huge game. And it is a huge game. But with the pitching numbers you have, do you feel like yeah. – Wake can withstand a loss here potentially better than most teams. They can. You're right. Wake has both the talent and the depth pitching to to take a loss today and to and to come out of that loser's bracket and surprise some folks and make it to the finals. But it's just simply a much harder task, obviously, Kevin. I mean, you win today, you just need to win one more time. If you lose today, you've got to win three in a row against incredible competition you know it'd be it would be either beating tennessee or stanford and then beating lsu twice in a row it's a tough task you know the tigers i think have only lost twice in a row three times all season so not many folks have been able to do that that being said the deeks have the depth in the in in the bullpen and and on this as a starting you know uh rotation to to do it they're better equipped to do it probably than anybody in the nation and clearly better than anybody else left in this field but it's just not its not a spot you want to be in. You, you want to take the path of least resistance. All right, one more thing. Typically, two really good teams play. My suspicion is it's going to be turn. It's going to come down to which team doesn't make errors and or makes a big defensive play that bails out a pitcher. How, how do you? How would you predict that would play out from what you've seen from Wake defensively all season? They're one of the top defensive teams in the country. You know, they're 18th in field percentage. They had one game at Coastal Carolina where things kind of ballooned out of out of out of control. Aside from that, they've been incredibly solid in the field. Merrick Houston, fantastic at short. 
Justin Johnson at second is a fantastic glove, and, and Nick Kurtz is the best defensive first baseman I've seen in my 10 years covering collegiate athletics. So, um, And then Tommy Hawkins Center covers a lot of ground. So they're, they're, they're fantastic defensively. It's weird because Merrick Houston kind of booted one with one out in the top of the ninth in a one-run one game against Stanford. And the guys tell me that basically uh, closer Cam Anasi said, all right, J.J., to Justin Johnson, just get a double play here. And that's exactly what happened. The ball bounced to Justin Johnson. He stepped on the bag, tossed the first, and the game was over one pitch later. So they, they believe they actually manifested that double play. So we'll, we'll see if they can manifest any double plays against the Tigers tonight. All right, sir. Well, we appreciate your time very much. Enjoy all the fun in Omaha, and thank you. Thanks a lot, Kevin. You guys have a great day. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111-706-0111. So I didn't hear the entire interview with the Wake Forest guy on RP3 and company, but I think Les sounded a little more confident than him. What? How would you assess that? Yeah, maybe so. Um Connor O'Neill is who we had on the first show, and I just think, I don't know, I think Connor's um, perspective of how they played in the first game was maybe a little bit more negative than Les's. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the funny thing is, like, they won the game and they got a huge hit when they needed it, and Rhett Lauder was kind of pretty much as advertised. He gave up a couple of runs, but... There's certainly been more variance in Josh Hartle than there was in Rhett Lauder. That's why one throws on Fridays and one throws on Saturdays. But um, if they get the Josh Hartle that was you know, dominant a couple of times throughout the postseason, then they're in a really good spot. But if they get the Josh Hartle that was a little bit more shaky, and obviously LSU's going to be more prone to putting pressure on a defense than George Mason or maybe a couple of the other teams they face in the postseason, then they could be in a little bit of trouble here. The funny thing, though, again, is that they have a lot of other guys. So having the off day, too, they had a couple, you know, they threw Keener and Sullivan out of the pen in their first game, who have started at times this year and might start in this World Series. But they both, they had a day for both of those guys. So, you know, it's kind of like LSU is pretty much everybody's available except for Louder. And just like LSU, everybody except Skeens is probably available as well. So that, that makes it interesting. And I think both these teams recognize how big this game is and so therefore even you know some teams and in the world series i don't know how much you can do it but i don't think either one's worried about who's starting game three i think they're worried about winning game two and then whoever's left or whoever doesn't throw or whatever else then they'll start the next game but it's about winning tonight you know the playing tight thing played up in the run score but it might have played up in the defense because he talked about the error in the night they misplayed a ball in the first inning of that game too in the infield um, and so they were nowhere near flawless defensively. And again, a lot of that can be nerves. I mean, I've seen it from the high school level on all the way up to the major leagues or whatever. That first playoff game, sometime you kind of tight 
you know, like even at the really good teams at the high school level. So, uh, you know, the fact that they haven't lost back-to-back games is interesting. Uh, the fact that they like, you know, they won every series is, you know, is something to be said for them. But it's I'm going to be interested to see tonight, especially if Floyd pitches like we're expecting, to see how many fly ball outs they make compared to line drive. Not even talking about, I know technically a line drive to the outfield is a fly out, I guess. But I like when I keep score, I I make a distinction between F and L. Like not everybody does that, I guess. I do as well. But huh? I do as well. Yeah. It's like you know, if you hit a line drive to the center fielder and it just happens to not have, you know, enough top spin, it doesn't go down, that that's still a product. I consider that a better at bat than someone who hits a lazy fly ball 10 feet short of the, the warning track. So um, I, I'm going to be interested to see how many fly outs they get tonight. Yeah, and you know the funny you mentioned the distincting, distinguishing between fly, fly balls and line drives. I had a friend who was like at, at one point kind of, um, scoring some games at higher levels and, and working on it, and they had a software that had basically forced you to distinguish not only between fly balls and line drives, but then there was a fliner, which was a mixture of a fly ball and a line drive, but then there was a fliner fly ball, which was like a mixture of the two, but more fly ball than line drive, and then a fliner line drive, a mixture wow. of the two, but more line drive than fly ball. <laughs> now that's you know they're trying to get these next level analytics of of productive outs. Now I guess it and that was a few years ago. I guess now it'd be easier because everything would just have an exit velocity attached to it and things like that. But that is funny. Another thing with Wake I'm interested to see is Bennett Lee is their catcher, uh, or at least has been their catcher much of the year, and he played at Tulane. And I watched him a lot his freshman year. He hit 440 in his freshman season at Tulane. It was a crazy kind of freshman All-American type year for him. And then his second year at Tulane, he hit 255, and it kind of came way back down to earth. He transfers out, and he's hit 301 for Wake this year. Um, but is a very good hitter at the catcher spot, but also a guy, and when that, you know, that time in his freshman year where he only played about half the year, but he hit 440, he's a guy who got, can get three, four, five hit games in a hurry. But then when he goes over, he'll go over for a week. So can a guy like that, who's not going to be hitting, you know, necessarily in the three or four spot in their lineup, but who wins that battle? Is it Wake's seven through nine hitters or LSU's? Because both teams don't really have holes in the lineup. I think Wake starts one guy who hits in the 220s and everybody else is 300 and above or 290. Um, and LSU, for the most part, has guys up there as well, as, except, you know, I think Thompson's average has dipped a little bit. But uh, who can win in the seven to nine battle, right? If, if both teams choose to try to not let the best guys beat them, which isn't always possible. Which... There was there have been some productive nine hitters in this in this tournament so far. I mean, Oral Roberts guy was the nine hole hitter that hit the big home run that Ravage botched. Um, and so there's been some some big nine hole hitters or, or bottom of the orders. No, I don't look, sometimes the bottom of the order carries you in games. That 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 it certainly could be the case here. And um I don't know if that's an LSU thing so much, although it could be, obviously. But LSU is typically like, look, I understand this is an offensive year, but I mean, if you drive in 100 runs in a college baseball season, I mean, it's happened before, but that's a lot. 100 runs in a college baseball season is a lot. Um, And it could happen tonight. If he get what three, I think he's got ninety seven. So yeah, if he gets three, that is a lot. 
Um, and so, no, I, I think it's going to be a good game. I do think that it's bigger for LSU than it is for Wake Forest. But to Les's point, I mean, that's just, yeah, you can have the pitching to do it, but that doesn't mean you're going to win all those games. I mean, to his point, it's still huge for either for both teams. I mean, it's it's really, really big. And it just makes your job so much easier. Um, <clears throat> you know, and so it's going to be – but I do think it's a big-time atmosphere. It's possible Wake was tight. Um, and they'll play looser. But but how do you play looser against a team where there's going to be so much more talk about it and there's going to be more people there and the atmosphere is going to be, I think, quite a bit bigger than it was for the game against Stunford. So, um, no, it, it will be um interesting game. And there's no weather delays expected tonight, right? We're good there. I think, I think we are all good. I think we should be good for the whole week for the most part. Yeah, that, um, we'll that, see later that's on. That's tremendous. Um, yeah, and even, I mean, it was kind of fortunate. Again, they, they did have that delay, and I guess you'd usually say, well, you're glad it didn't affect things. It might have affected Stanford in a negative way, and it might have helped Wake, but, um, you know, wasn't any sort of, like, game-breaking, pitching-breaking delays where guys burned aces and things like that, so... Uh, yeah, I think we're all good. I'll, I'll get another check on that and update you in the last segment, but I don't think we'll have weather issues. And that, yeah, that 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 is really good, especially now because, or after today, because you know it's one. Th- I mean, you don't want to lose any pitcher, but you certainly don't want to lose a pitcher when you get getting into game three and four where you don't have that many left. I mean, you can't afford to do that. So that would be uh, that that that's a that's a big deal for sure. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And, of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. And, you know, what kind of safe fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Obviously talking a lot about LSU versus Wake Forest tonight, 6 o'clock College World Series. And, of course, you can hear all that action right here on the game. But I did throw in an A.T. Perry question to Les. I did not expect Les to say anything negative about A.P. I mean, he just had a fabulous career at, at and again, Wake Forest every once in a while is good, but it's not like they're good all the time. And so it's in, when, when you're not a, one of these spoiled organizations or um, programs at the co- collegiate level, you know, when you have an elite player who has a great career, you really cherish him. So I, I didn't expect him to say anything negative. I just wanted to hear what he said about him. And it's like when, when, when you have a player who was drafted a little – you know, a lot of people were predicting this guy to go in like the third round. And when you get him later than that and 
and he puts out all these fabulous numbers. It's like, can this guy be that good? Like, he just sounds like this really exciting prospect. And and Les certainly didn't put a damper on that. And look, he, he didn't light it up in OTAs, but but that I don't put much stock in that. I mean, I you know, I, a lot of guys, especially young players, they have to. Now, if you're an undrafted guy, then you better light it up or you're going to probably get cut and you're not even going to make the, you know, the, the, the camp roster. I get that, you know, when you're drafted, you're going to get a chance in camp. You just have no matter what you do in OTA unless you do something really stupid. But um, so I don't know that you, he has the same pressure. And the fact that he obviously was going through a learning period, I don't, I, I have no concerns about that. I'm just... I'm just trying to figure out, can he really be as good as his college? You know, he's talking about all these fabulous catches he made and the production he's had. He did have a lot of drops. We talk about that after the draft. But the Saints' whole wide receiving situation, boy, it just seems like it has way more depth to it than than it's ha- than it had for years. Like, way more depth than it had for years. Uh, we'll see how how that plays out. And again, I I like the tight end situation going into last year better than just about all of y'all. And I like it even more going into this season. I you know, I, I, I hope that they have, you know, that the blocking part of it is gonna go fine. But but I from a receiving standpoint, I'm I'm really excited about the combination of that with the wide receivers and having a veteran quarterback. I know it's June. I know we all geek getting set for tonight's or to really both cuz I, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Stanford Tennessee game is a very very good game just like the rest of these games. College World Series going great. I really need the Astros to win tonight. Really need the Astros to win tonight. I don't know if y'all got that message, but I really need the Astros to win tonight. But I don't know that they're gonna. I... Struggling. Yeah, it's been brought up. We really need you to address the Pipers' lack of attendance at Atlanta Braves games recently. Um, yes, I um, the Braves. Um, I've been so focus on the on on the Astros but yeah the Braves are really angering the Pipers so who do the Braves play now I don't even know who they play now but I'm I'm like you I've been having trouble getting anything online the Braves will be off today and they start a series with the Phillies on the road tomorrow well I would think that they're fixing the Pipers got to be really angry at the Braves right now because like they abuse the poor Rockies like Look, the Braves obviously have arguably the best lineup in baseball, so it's not. I'm not surprised that they score a lot of runs. But the yeah, the Piper, it's time. The Piper's got to be angry. You don't think the Piper's angry at the Braves right now? Well, I think the Braves, you know, five day stretch is an example of of how silly this whole concept is. But no, no yeah, if you want. Oh no, they will. You will I'm simply they, playing the Piper will be paid. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, I mean, we'll yeah. see. They'll get paid. What about the off day? Does that give like a recharge, or no, does that I even kind of make him so. further? I don't, I don't think the off day matters. Nope, no, no impact. Now, no uh, impact. now, an all star break is interesting because it's not just one off day. It's like you're off for four days a lot of time. That's an interesting thing, but it still shouldn't affect it. 
Yes. Okay. The Pipers still should be pretty aggravated. No, I think the Pipers really mad at him. So we'll see. Yeah. There I mean, look, you want to talk about a team that looks like it's separating itself from the league. Kind of, kind of them. Hey. As far as and I'm not I'm just saying the National League really like cuz who else in the National League do we think that, unless we think Arizona's really going to, you know, be who they've been. You know, the Dodgers are oh, hanging I don't, around. I, the I think the Braves are, are going to have home field throughout. I don't doubt that for a second, but we all we've seen many times that that doesn't always matter. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, and right now, I'm just trying to win today. Like, <laughs> yes, you know who's going to be there for the American League? Who knows? But um, I just want to get. You know, we got a six weeks from now. Got to make some trades and. Hopefully get some players healthy. I want to see Brantley play, and can he be Brantley? Um, you know, by the end of the year, a lot, a lot can change. No question, a lot can change. But no, it's right now. Oh, and I'm and I'm told the Reds this weekend. Now, the Reds better not. I don't know who the Reds play next, but if they sweep them, then that's going to work great for the brain. Like if they get up to like eleven in a row, then the Braves. That'll be that'll work. Perfect for the Braves. But um, if the Reds lose a few here, well, we'll see. I don't think the Braves are going to have fun pitching against the Bra- Reds. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't outscore them. But uh, the Reds, this guy Benson was so so many big hits. Benson, stupid Jonathan India. <sighs> Hopefully it's a better day for me tomorrow. Y'all have a nice one.